in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there with us as we look today at rely on God. There's so much in these four verses. Uh, it is, and I may just be able to read these verses to you, and if I could just give you a little language stuff, you'd be able to go with this and go from this with so much challenge from the Spirit of God. But we'll see what God has as we talk about this today uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 8. And I want to tell you, uh, I want to start by, because this, this story came to mind as I thought about this rely on God thing today. Many people think that I am a smart person, and I do have some intelligence. I got good grades. I'm, I still get good grades in the classes that I'm in, but I am also very, very dumb. Some of you know what that's like, right? I'm not going to ask for anyone to raise their hand, but some of you know, like, there's a difference between really intelligent and being really bright, right? So this, this is a true story. This actually happened. I thought this was a good idea. It's about, uh, I don't know, it's about 25 years ago, something like that. Um, we, we were at a different church and the stage needed to get cleared off for some program. It was like PBS or I don't know, something like, in, like next week, we're going to clear this stage off so that we can put VBS decorations. And that stage was a lot smaller and whatever. And then when everything's done, you've got to put everything back on the stage, right? So one of the things that was on that stage was a piano, the full size piano. It wasn't like the whole upright, but it was like that, that mid-level thing. It was pretty solid, pretty, pretty big wood piano. And it was on the, the ground floor. And the stage was, was about, I'd say it was about this high on me, right? And I looked at that piano one day while nobody else was around. And I looked at that stage and I thought, I can get that piano up on that stage. So you already know this is a bad idea, right? Well, so what I did is I backed the piano up to the stage, and then I reached down underneath of the piano, and I began lifting it up so I could lean it on the stage, which was a great idea until I realized I might not be able to do that. And I had no out, <laughs> because if I let go or if it slipped out of my hand, it's coming crashing down. And now I got to tell everybody why I broke the piano or me in the process, right? Fortunately, I got that piano up on that stage and I wasn't hurt or anything like that. I slid it onto its back and then I stood it up and everything was great. And I've told that story many, many times to, to well, I was a youth pastor then. So it was a cool factor, you know, like I got that piano up there, whatever. But this is the thing that I took from that. As I got older and as I grew in maturity, I took this. I learned the wrong lesson as I do many, many times in my life. I learned exactly the wrong lesson. I looked at that thing that was obviously, should, was, I should not have picked it up myself. It's an obvious staring in, you in the face fact. And I decided I would do it anyway by myself. I would trust in my own strength. And by succeeding, I learned that that was a good idea instead of understanding that that was a terrible idea, right? I learned the wrong lesson. God, through all of my life, has tried to show me that I need to rely on him instead of me. And every time that I rely on me and it works out, I, in my flesh, take the lesson that keep relying on yourself. Do you do the same thing? At the same moments that those was going on, there were some other things God was trying to get my attention for and saying, Mark, you need to rely on me. You need to step out in faith here. You need to move to where I'm asking you to move. And I kept saying no and no and no because where I was is something I could control, or at least I thought so. Until God showed me that it was so devastatingly out of control 
and so devastatingly crushing that there was nothing I could do. And, and one of the telltale signs that I was relying on myself was the amount of frustration and the amount of disappointment and discouragement that I faced when I realized that there was nothing I could do to fix what God had allowed to be broken. And that's, that's a like bright flashing red light. You were relying on you to some degree. Or you wouldn't be so frustrated and so disappointed. And I can prove that to you as we look at these verses because that's exactly what I thought about as I thought about these verses today. So start with me in verse 8 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because last week we talked about God as the, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And Paul says, as, as you know, I'm going to fill the Corinthians in. I'm going to fill this church in on what my mind is and kind of what's been happening to me. So he tells them about the God of all comfort and He's doing this because the Corinthian church that he founded, like many people today and many of us in our default setting, believe this. If life is not going well, it must mean that God doesn't like me very much. I'm not saying you believe it like to the deep, deep core of your being, but it's your default setting, right? If stuff starts going bad, I don't know how many times people have asked me, I think God might be mad at me, Right? Something's wrong. God's, God's after me. God doesn't like me. God's not watching over me. God's not, because we think if things aren't going well, it means that something's wrong in our life. For them, for the Corinthians, Paul's trouble, Paul's persecution meant that God, he wasn't worth listening to. They wanted what he, what he calls in chapter 11, these super apostles to come and tell them how good God was going to be and how everything in their life was going to be okay and how they were rich and they were wealthy and they were powerful and they were full of personality. So follow us. That Paul guy, he's always in trouble. You don't want that life. It's a terrible misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's one of the traps the enemy sets for us all the time. Paul talked about God's comfort to say that his, tru his trouble that he was facing in his life was a benefit to them. First off, the fact that he was willing to face all of that and come to them anyway and found their church meant that they knew Jesus because Paul was not put off by suffering. And secondly, it meant that Paul had gone through suffering, so when suffering came to them, he would be able to pass on what he had learned by going through it. So Paul is making that point in those verses we talked about last week. Now, Paul gets to this discussion with them about what's been going on. So just verse 8. Let's just start with verse 8. It says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. You ever hear that somebody say to you, God won't give you more than you can handle? If you hear that, you can just in your mind go, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. God gave Paul more than he could handle. Now, I understand the encouragement of that, the, the meaning, the intent behind it. But clearly what Paul says here is, God gives us more than we can handle. Does that mean God's not good? Let's take a look at this. He starts off by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. And he's saying it a little bit sarcastically. He's saying it trying to like open their eyes because the Corinthian believers are talking about Paul like they know enough about his life to judge him, to judge his worth, his value, his, their, their, their need to follow him. And Paul says, I think you're a little bit uninformed <laughs> and I don't want you to be uninformed, right? So he starts with this, this 
confrontation with them a little bit. Paul says to them, let me fill you in. And before we get into what he says about it, I just want to stop there for a second and say, I think that dynamic is still at work in churches, in families, in relationships, in marriages, in social groups today. It's a work of the enemy that causes division and strife when people feel free to weigh in on other people's lives without acknowledging at least that there's probably other stuff I don't know about happening in their life. Every single person in this room today is, is carrying weights and feeling burdens and being crushed by stuff you don't know about. And it probably has large impact on how they're responding to you and the decisions they're making and the way that they're going in their life. And we're so free to say, what's wrong with them? But we're not actually asking what's wrong with them. We're saying it as an exclamation of superiority instead of an invitation to compassion, right? There are people who are still reacting to wounds from their childhood, wounds from other churches, disappointments and griefs in their life, secrets that they're holding because the only thing they can do to control the pain in their life is not tell anyone. And they are carrying that around inside of them and we think the problem is how they're acting when the real problem is what they're carrying. So Paul says, remember, you, it's one of the reasons you don't rely on yourself because you don't know enough to rely on yourself. You don't, there are actually people I talked to this week, several, I had probably three or four conversations where my mind said this, you don't even realize how much what you're carrying is affecting you. You're like, you're, as I'm hearing you talk to me, I'm hearing all this weight and this burden and this hurt and this pain from before coming out of you. And it's influencing, it's twisting what you're thinking about the situation, but you don't realize it. So sometimes it's not that people themselves are just holding it back. They don't even understand. They're not even aware. They know how heavy life is, but they're not even aware of what they're carrying. So this is a reality. It's why we don't rely on ourselves. People are going through things you don't know. Even leaders, Paul is their leader. Even leaders are going through things you don't know. So when a leader makes a mistake, instead of coming back to like all of your pain and distrust in the past, maybe you can understand that maybe people are people and we're all facing things that you don't know. Then Paul goes on to describe in some words that, that kind of get watered down in English, but are pretty powerful in Greek. He says about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. And the word troubles there, and all these words, really jarring. Um, it's, it's like there's this danger that Paul says we are living with, we have been living under for a while, and we can't seem to get out of it. How bad was this danger? It was so bad that it convinced the apostle Paul that his life was over. That's how bad it was. He uses the word we have here in the NIV, troubles. Uh, the, the King James has afflictions. The idea there is this is not just a normal bumpy road. The word is to be crushed, to be pressed like an olive press, squeezing all of the, the olive oil out of the olive. Pa Paul is saying in this moment, beyond anything we've experienced, life was about to squash us. It was so heavy and so hard and so catastrophic and so terribly overwhelming that it was this unique, shocking trial. He goes on to describe it as great pressure, using words that talk about uh, overwhelming weight 
standing on top of us, trying to stand up under it. He packs these things with superlatives. It was beyond measure. It was the most. We had no strength to match up to it. We had no out of it. Like he's using all of these big superlative words to talk about this trouble that he found himself in. The translation that we have here of far beyond is trying to capture that idea, how over the top this is. Now think about this. As Paul describes this as like the biggest, hardest, most overwhelming trial of my life. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Paul's life was like a whole tale of torture and trouble and trial and like things that if I, that stuff happened to me, I'm out right? And you can read in 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 6, and 1, or 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 11, you can read these stories about what Paul went through. And so for him, it's hard to even imagine what this could be. For him to say, this thing was over the top. I don't know what over the top is, because all the rest of it is over the top for me, Right? So when Paul says we were crushed under this, we had this weight of life that was just bringing, he says at the end, it brought us to despair. The words, when he says brought us to despair, it's three Greek words, and it means the unavailability of an exit. There was no way out. In other words, in, in Paul's soul, it was like I was trying to figure out how we were going to get out of this so we could keep doing work for Jesus, and there was no way out. So we came to the spot where we gave up on getting out. It was going to kill us. That's what Paul says he was going through. The Corinthians are over here going, Paul, he's such a weak guy, whatever. And Paul's like, I want you to know what I actually was going through. You have no idea how bad that it was. And he says that to them because he wants them to understand what normal Christian life is like. Sometimes I talk to people and I'm gonna give them some input or give them some counsel and they say to me, Pastor Mark, you don't understand. You don't understand what it's like to carry this weight. You don't understand what this life is like. Your life is not like my life. And so you don't understand, which I, I get. I get that. The reality is you, truth is still truth. <laughs> Whether I've walked your path or not, truth is still truth. And P.S., I've talked to a lot of people, so I've, ta- I've walked through a lot of paths with a lot of people. So maybe that, uh, there's more help there than you feel like there is, but I understand this. But here's the awesome thing about Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? He gets what it's like to be crushed under life. If you are somebody who's facing utter despair, you are invited to look at Paul and see how he dealt with that. How did he sort that out? What did he do with this weight in life that was absolutely overwhelming and bringing him to despair? If you're in despair, Paul was in despair, what did he do with it? We have these examples in Scripture like Paul and even Jesus where what we understand is that the idea of we need to get out of trouble, we need to avoid suffering, it does not mesh with what we see in Scripture about people that are the main characters of Scripture. And so when Jesus has things to say to us about suffering and Paul has stuff to say to us about suffering, we probably should perk our ears up and listen. If Paul could face this and keep going in his mission for Jesus, maybe we can too. Did Paul have a different Holy Spirit in him than you have? Did he have a different Savior than you have? 
Did he have a different gospel than you have? Like all the things that Paul had and lived for are the same things we have. But somehow, and I think you can imagine maybe reasons why, but somehow we've gotten to the place where we're so flimsy in our faith that if it's inconvenient, we won't do it. Let alone if it's, you know, going to threaten to kill us. There's an example here. So to begin with, Paul wants to correct their thinking that his trials are evidence that he's to be ignored. But more than that, what he says is if you see trouble as something to avoid or simply escape, you've missed the point of the trouble in your life. So he's going to go on to to talk about this in the next verses. Read with me verses 9 and 10. It says this, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So Paul starts with this. Indeed, if you think I, if you missed what I just said about we despaired of even life, I'm going to give you it more straight. We thought we were going to die. We had a death sentence. We don't know what this trouble was. There's all kinds of ideas of what it could be. The idea of death sentence is taking this word and applying it to a judicial sense where Paul stood in front of some civil authorities and they said, you're going to die for what you did, right? It doesn't seem like that's far-fetched, but it also doesn't seem to me like that's what it is here. The word for death sentence is the word for an answer. I received an answer. We had an answer. And it feels to me like as I read that, what he's saying is God When we prayed, when we were in this life and death situation, we prayed and we asked God and God gave us an answer. If you were in a life and death situation and you prayed, what would you be asking God for? God, please let me die. No, you would be praying. God, please save me, right? Paul likely prayed the same thing and probably prayed it about like, Lord, please save me so I can keep doing the work that you've given me, right? Even with good intention. What Paul says here is, when I prayed, I believed that God had said, no. I believe that God had said, no, this is the end for you, Paul. I became convinced that God's answer to my prayer was death. Hmm. Would God do that? Seems like Paul believed it, that that's what God had done. And he believed it because he had seen his Savior go through that same thing, right? That God's plan for Jesus was to die. And Paul said, if I get to die like my Savior got to die, and I'm part of plan like Jesus was part of God's plan, I'm good with that. I wonder if you and I have the foundation in faith to process that kind of an answer from God. See, we got a little bit of flimsiness to our faith. That if God doesn't give us what we think he should give us, we're all disappointed and we don't know what to do and we're confused. Paul went on to keep serving God, even believing that God might one day give an answer of death. What do you do with that reality? How, how would God bring that into your life for good? Well, what Paul says is, this all happened so that. Did you see that? So that part? This all happened so that. We, would, may, we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. What Paul says is, God taught me something through that. And what he taught me was, 
I need to rely on God. It is his whole point. It is what he's teaching them through these ideas that God brings us into suffering to show his power. So when he says God, he says the one who raises the dead. Now, who's the one who raises the dead? Is that you? Who here can raise the dead? How, how many people have that ability to raise the dead? We would like to meet with you after the service and form a ministry. Nobody here, huh? Right? What Paul does is he, is he says, what dawned on me is that as I rely on my own power, I rely on power that is too little for what God has, has my life doing. The call on my life, I don't have the power I need for because I'm relying on power that can't raise the dead. <laughs> but instead, I need to learn to rely on God who does raise the dead. It is another naming of God, just like Father of Compassion and God of all comfort. Here it is, the God who raises the dead. I would challenge you to take this with you this week. Into every uncertainty, every pain, Every opportunity, every decision, every calling, every disappointment that you can rely on God who has this kind of power, he raises the dead. Like if you're like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm going to trust God and just add to it who raises the dead. Like Paul, remind yourself about who you're trusting. This is not someone who is distant and far away from us. And this is not someone who's weak and overwhelmed. This is someone who has all the power you need and has promised to raise you. How many people are going to be raised from the dead? See, we got a promise from God that he's going to do that for us. And we rest in that promise. So I need to rest in that promise for these things too. For the here and now too. So that means I can't, trust in myself. I need to trust in God. Did you know that you can't both trust in yourself and God simultaneously? That's disappointing, I know, for many of us. I'm totally surrendered to God, but I'm going to handle this myself. No, that's not how it works. And Paul says, I had to learn that by going through this trial. I had to learn that I had to let go of my desires and my plans and my ideas and my, de my desire for comfort. I had to let go of it so that I could walk by faith, so that God would lead me. The God who raises the dead would power me for the things that I have every reason to put my complete trust in him because he's the one who can do it. For some of us where the rubber meets the road for that most practically is in the things that we can't change. We'd like to change, but we can't change. Now, there are things you can change. Your life might be a mess because of things you can change. You might need to go to bed earlier. You might need to be, read your Bible every day. You might need to eat differently. You might need to go for a walk once in a while. Like there are things, right, that you might be able to do to change your life. The places where we have to learn to rely on God is the stuff we can't change. When someone else's opinion has a big impact on my life, but I can't change their opinion. When I go to work and my boss asks things of me that I think are ridiculous, or when, when situations in the country happen and there's nothing I can do about them. Like, I need to rely on God in stuff that I can't change, like Paul did. Did you know 
that the stuff that you can't change that is making you miserable might just be God's workshop to teach you not to rely on yourself, but to rely on him. Maybe you don't need to grasp for control. Maybe you don't need to self-medicate yourself into being okay. Maybe what you need to do is learn how to walk by faith into the power of God who raises the dead. And maybe that's what God is doing in your life if you will let him. Paul teaches us that thinking that God's power is, is there to keep us from trouble is a devastating wrong. Instead, what we, what we learn from Scripture is that the norm for the display of God's power in this life is that God takes us through the struggle and through the trial, not just hanging on and surviving, but walking boldly by faith because the God that we serve and the God that is leading us is the God who raises the dead. And so in the middle of that mess, I can serve him, I can live for him, I can share him with others, even though it feels like the weight of the world is on me, it's a weight that he's going to carry for me. I don't look at the piano and think I can lift that. I look at the piano and say, God, put that there because he wants to lift it for me and I have to learn how to let him, right? That is the journey that Paul took. It is a journey we see from our Savior. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, Peter writes this about Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. Here, Paul said, I'm learning to entrust myself to the Father. Are you learning that? Are you going that way? If I asked you this morning, how many of you want God's direction and God's power in your life? If I had some way to take a survey and you could all click some magic button and feedback to me about your, I bet you we would have most, if not all of us, that I want God's direction and God's power in my life. When was the last time you asked for it? When was the last time you looked for it, rested in it, figured out how to walk in it? See, I can't just want it. I've got to learn it. And Paul says, I learned here how to rely on God. I learned that I couldn't trust in myself. And the verbiage there about trusting in himself is a verbiage about how he needed to learn to stop trusting in himself. It's like he was naturally drawn to believing that he could take care of it himself and God was teaching him to trust him. I would say maybe trials and dangers aren't an evidence that God doesn't like us or God's mad at us. Maybe they are God's workshop in our lives like Paul to teach us. The uncertainties, the disappointments of life, the expectations that don't come to pass are invitations for us to believe. He closes that by saying at the end of verse 10, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And what those words work together to basically say this, Paul chose to believe. He was gonna choose to believe that God was faithful and good and that God's plan was going to be what Paul wanted in the end. Did you know that believers don't believe by default? I call you guys believers all the time. You don't believe by default. You believe by choice. You're not going to drift or just like exist in belief, just floating around in belief. You've got to choose how you're going to look at what's happening in your life. 
You've got to choose who you're going to rely on when something falls on your shoulders. Who are you relying on? What power are you relying on? Is it yours or his? Is it your understanding or is it God's? That is the thing that, God, that Paul is teaching us by his trials and his troubles and his lesson and passing on to us. And then there's this one last way to rely on God that I want to look at in verse 11. It's an amazing verse for a lot of reasons. One is that Paul is inviting partnership with people who have rejected him, which is incredible, right? Corinthians, you can be my partners. And second, it says something really powerful about prayer. So it says this, verse 11, as you help us by your prayers... Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul says, Corinthians, you can have a part of my ministry. And they're like, I don't think I want part of your ministry. We've read what happened to you. I don't think we want that. He's like, no, 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 no. It's not about going through all the shipwrecks and the beatings with rods and the imprisonments and all. Like, not a, it's not about starving to death or what. Pray for me. And in praying for me, you are partnering with me. What he says is, if many will pray, many will rejoice. Almost saying that the size of the impact could be connected to how many people are joined together spiritually in this process through prayer. Now, I'm not talking about prayer like, and God bless Paul, and God bless Susie, and God bless John. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about prayer that's a conversation with God that says, this person's going through this. And Lord, you know how hard that is and you know how, what the struggles are. I don't even know all of them, but you see his heart. You know what's there. You know what you want to do in him. And so I'm lifting him up to you and I'm asking, Father, that you would pour your spirit out and show him your power and lead him to, like a prayer for that person, right? And Paul says, if you will pray for me, God will react to your prayers and many will rejoice because you prayed for me. There's a partnership there, isn't there? And that's one of the ways we rely on God. It's not, will you come help me? I don't need your help. I need his help. So if you pray for me, what you're doing is recognizing that God is the help. God is our help. So God, you help them. You, and he might use us, but he's, it's going to be God's power flowing out. And so praying for someone is another way that we rely on God. And this was no small prayer request. Pray that we don't die and that God keeps delivering us. Isn't that an amazing privilege? So I have two questions for you today as we close. One is this. This thing of prayer, this joining together in prayer, such a special, deep, spiritual privilege. Who is it that God might want you to join with by praying for them? Now, it can't be everybody, because then you just get into these prayers like, God, help everybody. Help all the sick. Help all the missionaries. Help all the... Like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, is there someone that God would bring to your mind and say, you need to partner with this person in prayer. Put them on your heart. Pray for them regularly, whether you know a lot of details or you don't. You partner with them in prayer. Who is it that God would invite you into a prayer partnership with? Just like Paul invited the Corinthians into that. I think there's power of God that has yet to be unleashed because the people of God haven't gotten back to praying for one another like Paul's talking about here. And if that's the only thing in the way, let's get that out of the way and let's get back to it, right? The other thing is this. Maybe you're too broken, burdened, crushed, discouraged for that to seem like something. I would say, take the first half of these verses to heart that Paul understands where despair is. 
He understands where crushing burden is. And look at how Paul responded to it so that you can have the hope that he had, so that you can have the power that he had, so that you can learn what he learned in it. You're not going to learn it in a second, but if you'll walk it out following Paul's example, I guarantee the power of God will flow into your life just like it flowed into his. So let's take these things before the Lord, ask God to do this in us. Would you close with me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your goodness, your unfailing goodness in our lives. We do ask you to direct us to this ministry of partnership and prayer for people who are in deep trouble and affliction, people who are overwhelmed by burden, for people who are on the front lines serving you, for people who are ready to share their faith, for people who are near and dear to our souls. Whoever it is, Father, I pray that you would effectively join the body of Christ together through prayer. And then, Father, I pray for those who feel the discouragement that Paul describes here, who feel the, the weight of life on them like Paul describes here, that you would not allow the enemy to dictate that narrative to their soul, but that you would use what we've talked about today and what Paul wrote all these years ago to give direction to their soul, that they would be able to, as the psalmist says, to lift up their eyes to where their help comes from, that they would be able to see you and get their eyes off of all of the things that seem so impossibly overwhelming and back to the one who raises the dead. Father, pour out hope amongst your people as we learn what it means to rely on you. Teach us, we pray, and let your light shine out through your people brightly, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.